0: Hey, FFR listeners, this is the producer Rob speaking. It's that time of year when everyone starts to think about the important things in life, like our taxes. Did you know that a donation to Feminist Frequency is actually tax-deductible? If you have a few bucks a month to spare, head on over to patreon.com femfreak, F-E-M-F-R-E-Q. Help us out, but also help yourself to all the great exclusive content that's available only to people who are signed up on our Patreon.
1: That could be very like transgressive or dangerous, Bad. which is like a mother doesn't want the father around the children,
2: Bad.
1: and he uses subterfuge.
2: Where's the moral outrage about Mrs. Doubtfire?
1: Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio presents Macho's Fully Loaded. This is the podcast that asks you to be critical of the media you love. And this is the season where we're investigating masculinity in movies and TV. I'm Kat Spada.
2: And I'm A.C. Lamberty. This week, welcome back our therapists um, (laughs) as our special guests this week. Because we're talking about all things daddies uh welcome to machos who are daddies
1: and actually strap in and strap on your baby carrier Got that him. is okay muscles
3: 100 pure adrenaline weapons your
1: move creep dominance, dominance. Don't hurt. machos the only place you're gonna go is the hospital i will be right back <laughs> you might think Machos Who Are Daddies oh more Pedro Pascal talk like oh he plays a father figure to the Yoda or whatever. We do that if you want. <laughs> sure. Sure that can be the next ep but this is for reals about fatherhood uh-huh. in me- movies and TV. Yes, um, And I am so like it's so weird. I haven't thought too 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 much about this except that like I think that fatherhood in media just as in society and culture is like man if you just do a little bit you're probably considered a really great dad
2: (laughs) totally yeah i mean when i was thinking of my selections for this week i was like oh i feel like i don't and this is maybe similar to that conversation you just brought up but like i don't ever seek out like a fatherhood film in the way that some movies are labeled motherhood films and that definitely feels like a societal gender thing do you know what yeah. i mean like that there yeah. even is like a category for that
1: um, i definitely like um i just rewatched. i i mentioned it in the for the podcast cinema paradiso okay. which has a great like older male figure mm-hmm. uh character like that is always kind of something that can be very nice mm-hmm. um to watch like it can kind of hit you in, a, in an emotional place but then like you know, as with everything, like, women maybe lose their culture, loses respect for them when they have kids, and that mm-hmm. doesn't happen for men. Or um, how do we feel about the fact that dad bod happened? I mean, I feel great about it, but, like, mom bod yeah. didn't happen. <laughs>
2: no, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, like, fatherhood being... I don't know i have i have a a really good piece that i read in prep for this episode that i will bring up later but like yeah fatherhood being now kind of an idealized marker of masculinity mm-hmm. but not with any of the effort of parenting if you're a mother or a woman too you know i mean
1: right i feel like we you know you know how like the teenager didn't exist until like the middle of the 20th century like <laughs> mm-hmm. you were maybe a small child and then you had a job like yes. that that was it <laughs>
3: yes. and there's I've...
2: a horrible fire at your factory <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> i feel like fatherhood also like didn't exist yeah. until recent generations where maybe second wave feminism i yeah. don't know like uh, a, a certain type of woman who didn't have to have a job before that suddenly was going back to the workplace and then it was like, I don't know, like Father's Day had to be invented mm-hmm. because now women are doing all the work and men are there too. Like,
2: <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's like now it's an identity and then thus it's an industry, like right. being a certain type of dad, like, I don't know, i just thinking about capitalism behind, you know, all identities, but like parenting and like, what kind of parent are you going to be aesthetically based on what you buy or like. What you have, like, yeah. I feel like fatherhood has become an identity in that way that it could be commodified.
1: How do dads and grads happen? That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think you buy the same stuff for dads and grads. I don't no. think ad- ads for dads and grads are, <laughs> are like, uh, buy your grad this toolkit or whatever yeah, you're supposed to buy for dads. Nice
2: grill or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's, you know, the genius of big marketing i guess
1: (laughs) okay so now a question i have a question for the homosexual community
3: uh
1: Uh, we've talked a lot about like machos who are soft boys or who (laughs) have like these sensitive qualities that when they are attributed to straight men make them even more desirable to (laughs) straight women um is there any added sexual capital (laughs) In the gay community, for for dads, in the way that, like, I do think it's sort of like can be a little bit like, oh, he's such a good dad. Oh my god, yeah. look at him!
2: He's well, the hot dad
1: who comes to the PTA or comes to the park or whatever.
2: <laughs> I don't know. Okay, well, you know, back at the beginning of the year when people were doing their ins and outs list, yeah, famously in Dad Out Daddy was on uh, my list. So
1: yeah, yeah, I
2: am the person to ask about this. I would say honestly kind of no unless it's over a certain threshold unless your kids are like adults right then it's like kind of hot and it's like you get the thrill of being with a father figure but who doesn't have to attend to his children so like
1: christopher Plummer in beginners (laughs) exactly
3: (laughs) exactly (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, oh, that's a uh, there were so many things that I was like, "Yeah, was I was I going to rewatch To Kill a Mockingbird and go into like, well, we all know Atticus Finch is the best dad." I was, I couldn't figure it. I, it was on a hard drive I could not access. Um, I should have rewatched the movie Little Children. Did you oh, ever see I've that? Never
2: seen. No.
1: Todd Field's last I movie. I was going
2: to say is that Todd Field's, <laughs> yeah
1: based on a Tom Parada book that I Mm -hmm. liked more than I liked The Leftovers. Um, Mm -hmm. And, um, God, this guy is, like, perfect for this show. Um, Guy I can never remember the name of. um, (laughs) But he's, like, so blandly handsome. Uh, Patrick Wilson.
2: Oh, my God. Of girls' fame?
1: Of girls' fame. (laughs) Yes. Of Watchmen 2009. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. He's like plays the hot dad in a movie that's also about a pedophile. He's not the pedophile. That's a great casting. Yeah, it's perfect. And I remembered like in the book it's that kind of description of like it's a hot summer, maybe the kids are haven't gone back to school yet, and all the moms are kind of sweating on their lawns and they <laughs> see the new dad in town, Patrick Wilson. Ugh. and he's so beautiful and so boring. <laughs> um and I kind of am like I don't know just throwing that out there as a watch recommendation for anyone. That's who, amazing
2: dad imagery too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like but yeah, take it away. I'm I'm really excited for your for your uh prism on all of these movies yeah. which I've seen all of your picks this week.
2: Oh, I love that. Okay, yeah, I I went kind of big, I think. Um So, as previously mentioned, I am a a, a PhD in daddy studies. Um, (laughs) Some areas of the field are more within my wheelhouse than others. Um, But as I mentioned earlier, I rarely kind of like seek out films about fatherhood in an intentional way. Yeah. Um, So when I was thinking about fatherhood in cinema... And uh, really the first kind of trope that came up to me was like the bumbling dad or like the yeah. you know, dumb dad with a heart of gold kind of trope.
1: Yeah, I was almost thinking Homer Simpson should be featured. For
2: sure. But yeah.
1: he's he's unfortunately canonically the nacho nacho man, not yeah, the yeah, macho yeah. macho man, so I did feel like it was not appropriate. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that, you know, I respect. We can Thank talk about all episode Machas who are cartoon
1: characters. Yeah.
2: Something there. um anyway so that was definitely something there yeah um that was the trope that came up to my like came to my mind instantly um you know obviously comedies um and the i was like looking into the bumbling dad trope and i found it really interesting that it's kind of a subversion of the 50s 60s kind of idealized sitcom dad like that's how this trope started it was like a commentary in and of itself but now it's just become so the norm um yeah and, and mockable in its own right, you know what I mean? Um, but, I mean, for those who are unfamiliar with the trope, maybe the dad who is the bumbling dad is, like, somebody who is a fuck-up and gets people into hot water, but is ultimately very lovable and doing everything because his heart is in the right place and because he loves his family so much. Like, that is yeah. the base of uh, of the trope. Um, so when I was thinking about this, two big films came to mind, and then a third that's kind of, I don't know, a, subverts the trope in its own weird way, but yeah, I thought about and revisited uh, Mrs. Doubtfire from 1991 and School of Rock, which I feel like is kind of a unexpected pick for this, but is like such a fatherhood film to me.
1: Yeah. Two incredible uh, central actors to... Focus on for for uh, this too. Like they're both extremely like lovable and likable and uh-huh. crushworthy and, and
2: talented, like talented, multi
1: talented. Yeah, and like another. Just we're not focusing on it this week, but I will recommend Jingle All the well- Way starring <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad.
2: Oh my
3: god!
1: As the most. Demented example of uh, like, bum- what can, how bumble can you bumble when you're the bumbling dad? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but please. I
2: love that. Go but on. Yeah, Mrs.
1: Dowfire, I haven't watched that in yeah. years.
2: Well, the central actors thing is, is interesting too because it's like these are two people who outside of their acting life are or were or still are, I guess, like considered kind of like an America's dad figure. Mm. I think Jack Black is like cornering the market on that right now, yeah. especially with like the Mario promo. Um, but with that, it's like in thinking about the bumbling dad and kind of softer or more comedic takes on masculinity. A lot of the actors who get to play these roles are people who are not mainstream macho, which I found mm-hmm. interesting. Like the the fatherhood film or character is also a gateway into kind of alternative masculinities. Like Jack Black yeah. is not your conventionally attractive, like macho hunk, but and yet, he, has. he gets this work. Yeah
1: he both of them are so physical as Uh performers that i think that it tips beyond like oh is he my type or whatever it's like well look at him (laughs) like you're drawn (laughs) to him they're both so magnetic
2: totally totally and then there's a conversation on the flip side of that that's like oh why that's why is it so revolutionary that like vin diesel or whatever then plays a reluctant dad who like learns to not just be a macho uh in like the pacifier or it's like there is a flip side conversation about why it's radical to have like hot macho men be soft dads too, right? You
1: know. like eighty percent of the Rock's Instagram is like him getting his nails painted by his daughters.
2: Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's another it's another weird like niche like industry thing. I don't know. It's like this this episode got me thinking a lot about the markets. <laughs> like, yeah, a lot about capitalism. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, like fatherhood is a marketable identity. But anyway. Um, starting with Mrs. Doubtfire, the fatherhood film, Children of Divorce, let me hear ya. Let's (laughs) let's go. Um, for those unfamiliar, (laughs) Mrs. Doubtfire is about Robin Williams, who plays a recently divorced man who does drag to spend more time with his children. Um, I was trying all afternoon to think of some kind of drag band (laughs) joke about this. I don't know.
1: This was the era, I mean, if you think of, like, the parent trap, Uh where it was just like acceptable to be like oh she's a good mom she just doesn't want her children to have any relationship with their non-abusive father yeah
2: yeah this movie is not great to me (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i'll say i didn't love it um yeah have you seen it
1: like when you were a kid
2: i saw it when i was a child very young and probably pre my parents divorce which is funny but watching it now i'm just like I don't know, I found it really saccharine and um, just kind of rude. <laughs> <That> <laughs> like, I just didn't. I mean, okay, he, he Robin Williams in this film is like the bumbling dad, um, and in this instance, it's a trope that really annoyed me. Um, Daniel, who's Robin Williams' character, uh, gets fired from his job in a way that kind of tries to frame him as being the good guy, like, there's an argument over some script at his his in-house voice acting job.
1: <laughs> right, where his boss is Harvey Firestein. Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Actually, I lied. This is the best movie of all time. <laughs> um, anyway. It's and got then Pierce Brosnan in it.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. Then throws that insane birthday party against his wife's wishes. It's like- just kind of a prick about it. And then when he assumes the role of Mrs. Doubtfire... It's framed as him like learning basic household chores and becoming a better person, and then he gets a kids show out of like his bumblingness, right? Um, failing well, up, yeah, failing up exactly. That's that's completely it. Um, but this, I mean, this is out for fire. Just kind of reinforced all the irritating kind of aspects of the bumbling dad trope for me, which I'm sure I do think this movie at the time was probably like the originator of a lot of this and yeah. um, just hasn't aged for me as someone who has seen other takes on the genre or the uh, trope. Um, but yeah, it just kind of reads as an eye roll for me now. I mean, like Daniel who's Ron Williams character has so little consequences. It has so few consequences. Like you said, failing up and then all of his actions kind of at his wife and children's expense just kind of suck to watch. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um Yeah. <laughs> yeah, have <laughs> your thoughts on this film overall? No,
1: it's very interesting to like even I mean, this is maybe related to the drag band conversation. But mm-hmm. I would love to take it's such a slice of life to think about like how, yeah, I mean, drag has been used for comedy, like straight men doing drag forever. And
3: mm-hmm.
1: it should should be like, it's fun. you know, it's fun to say that, like we can play in in this toolbox, mm-hmm. and it can be it can be interesting. but like, There was something happening in the 90s where I feel like (laughs) Hollywood, I think we talked about this on our Total Recall episode a little bit where Mm -hmm. like Arnold goes in and they're going to create some like AI world for him and they're like, oh, hetero, are you like hetero? He's like hetero. And then they like (laughs) select like a female partner for him. Like… Where they were like, okay, gay exists and we can mm-hmm. talk about it, but we don't know what And it's maybe to do. even like normal. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Except like we gotta all yeah. we just have to be careful. Like the bird cage, I'm also thinking about in this era. It's one of
2: my favorite movies of all time, but, but totally.
1: Where it's like, Oh, yeah. son, can you pretend your dad's not gay? Like, isn't <laughs> that that's like the central yes, yes. instigator of the movie. And in this, like, we're not dealing with homosexuality at all but we are dealing with like something that could be very like transgressive or dangerous Uh which is like a mother doesn't want the father around the children Uh and he uses subterfuge yeah and like gender play (laughs) to do it like wouldn't that wouldn't that land somebody in a lot of uh-huh. hot water you know
2: <laughs> yeah i'm like where's the moral outrage i'm not <laughs> like, saying like it should there. or
1: shouldn't it's just really right. like it's not concerned i mean obviously they were like robin williams playing an old lady that's gonna be fun it's great
2: What's and it the truly, movie? yeah like i don't think the, the analysis is deeper than that in like at all but it yeah. is you're right like it's it's a little weird it leaves a strange taste to the mouth viewed in like today's context you know what i mean yeah um yeah, and then in kind of reading about the bumbling dad trope, there was a quote that like just very summed up this movie for me, and it said, "The source of the bumbling dad's charm is his complete love and loyalty to his family, even if the main way he shows it is by fixing problems he caused himself." Which mm-hmm. I think the fixing problems he caused himself is like pivotal to Mrs. Doubtfire, um, and why the trope usually doesn't work for me, and like is frankly a little annoying.
1: Really really pivotal i think to a lot of fatherhood in general which Mm -hmm. is like he apologized and that's Mm -hmm. what made him great
2: yes yes instead
1: of like he made every effort not to do the big fuck up in the first place
2: exactly for sure
1: which is invisible but like (laughs) interesting yeah
2: yeah so then i i watched a fave to me this is probably my all-time favorite movie ever in the world uh a non-traditional fatherhood story but something i feel is very very much about fatherhood yeah um i watched school of rock which is richard blanklater's 2003 film film of my life it's It's amazing So good holds up so well
1: it, and It is, like, everything you want from a movie. It's exactly. entertaining. It doesn't talk down to you.
3: <laughs>
1: I don't know about all the bands. And then by the end of it, I'm like, oh, my God, I love them all so much. Like, yeah.
2: I don't know a better film. Um, <laughs> yes, agree. But I really think School of Rock is a film kind of in the bumbling dad tradition. Um, right. I feel like that is such an apt way to describe doing fan who is uh, who Jack Black Plays. Um, for those who haven't seen it, School of Rock is about a deadbeat guitarist who's in just kind of a shitty bar band. Um, He gets kicked out of the band and then he poses as a substitute music teacher at an elite private elementary school. And he uses the students to kind of craft a super group (laughs) to (laughs) enter a a local battle of the bands. Um, And I I really like his progression as a character, especially as compared to Robin Williams and, and Mrs. Doubtfire, because... We see Dewey start, I mean, completely uninterested in these kids at all. Like, he's really not doing it for anything, like, the substitute teaching for anything but money. Um, Not interested in forging relationships with, like, other people, period, Um, it doesn't seem. Solely in it for, like, a paycheck. Right. Um, But kind of unlike where I feel Mrs. Doubtfire has a little bit of inauthenticity or, like, weird relationship shit when it comes to the divorce, especially um i feel that in school of rock do like the key to the bumbling dad working and like being sweet and not intensely annoying and something that is like aspirational almost is like dewey forges like real relationships with these children teaching them about music and like working yeah. together and they feel really authentic and supportive um and based on like what feels like a like really healthy parent-child dynamic
3: um I yeah
1: I can't wait to rewatch this with that concept in mind because it seems like the best case scenario of like people who have kids and they're not, maybe they weren't planning to, or they Uh weren't sure how to feel about it, even if they were planning to, but like getting to know these young people Uh and learn from the people that they are as well, Uh I think is like, be like one of the great things you might idealize about becoming a, a parent and totally he connects with each of them like you have uh-huh. a self-esteem issue or like you are too cocky but here's how it's uh-huh. gonna here's how you're gonna use it right like he yeah. connects with them all in such a wonderful way and then he becomes a better person.
2: Oh my god I'm like getting emotional <laughs> like it's it is so good it is the perfect movie and like even thinking about the capitalist stuff that i mentioned yeah. earlier it's such a sweet ending too because dewey starts with this dream of like fame and fortune becoming a famous musician and his band really making it big and then it changes a little bit to oh i want to win battle of the Bands because that'll get me money at least i don't want to do my stupid substitute teaching job that i stole from my friend yeah. um, and then at mike the white. end exactly mike white <laughs> brilliant writing on this like he if real ones now, okay? yeah. Um, and then at the end, it completely shifting to like this lovely kind of credit sequence where he has a school of rock, like a music school for kids. Yeah, um, is making a living, working there, and like spending time with these children. Something that is so removed from like capitalist fame and fortune and stuff, and feels so I don't know, just sweet and loving. Whereas Mrs. Doubtfire, like, it's a good ending, sure. I I at least appreciate that, like, the parents didn't get back together or something, but he still gets a TV show out of it, and it feels like it's more about access to his children post-divorce than anything kind of authentic or, like, relational there.
1: And, like, I think I'm... It all comes back to the teen machos, but... um,
2: It does. I was thinking that,
1: too. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, how crucial to this whole conversation with this season of masculinity is is a father figure or yeah. just like a male role model and like not that that person has to be perfect like that it's important that they do have like, like intimacy with yeah. these young people like that they're, they're real with them they're not just like oh yes I look up to him because he was <laughs> a hero they're like oh no I look up to him because he was genuine and because he was kind and because uh-huh. he was thoughtful and he messed up but it was okay like that's that seems definitely so much more significant that like um do we accomplishes that for like dozens of yeah. children
2: yeah and A- is still allowed to see them and like forge relationships with them after stealing them for a competition <laughs> like,
1: yeah joan cusack hasn't had him arrested
2: oh my god oh it's so good
1: it's so joan good. cusack in this movie is brilliant she's so good i mean she's yeah she's good in everything um uh working girl which Man. i haven't seen until recent years um yeah but yeah Great choice. Great choice for this. Such a
2: delightful movie. Highly recommend a rewatch if anybody hasn't seen it in a while. Oh, goes down smooth anytime. <laughs> um, and then my third film that I just wanted to touch on briefly, because I feel like you might have examples of this kind of trope or dad um, or even just plot um, in dad cinema. But yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about Captain Fantastic, which is a 2016 film um, starring Viggo Mortensen. A at Sundance, I think, and it is so Sundance.
1: It's <laughs> like the Sundance movie. One of,
2: one of the most Sundance films I've ever seen. Um, And so in it, we have Viggo Mortensen, who is the father to this kind of precocious <laughs> um, Wes Anderson-ass <laughs> group of kids that he is raising in the wilderness Uh, for, I don't know, ideological reasons after his wife died. Yeah. And then there's a whole uh, road trip they have to go on to bury his wife um, against, it, like, in the way that she wants to be v- buried versus yeah. her family's wishes. Um, any initial thoughts on this film? Did you see it when it first came out?
1: I saw it, no, maybe a, a year or two after, like, it was on mm-hmm. HBO or something. And um, I definitely was like, oh, I'm interested in this, like, this is like such. So, this is such a poster movie. <laughs> like they put a real fun font treatment on that oh, poster.
2: They sure did.
1: And you're like Captain Fantastic, Vigo Mortensen, and his like band of merry travelers. This is going to be such a romp. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, no, he's extremely political. Like it's it's yeah. very like the parents are struggling with mental health in a way that. Yeah. Um, leave no trace also has like a dad living off the grid
2: too yeah this could definitely be machos on the verge in a a way yeah
1: but then you have like you know it ends up being a very thoughtful movie about like the questions a parent should ask themselves about like Uh when am i doing right by like forcing what i believe to be like all the best morals and ethics onto my children when am i doing Right by letting them go, be in society, and learn for themselves and make up their own minds. Right, um, and it has a, a, I think macho on the on the rise. George McKay, McKay. Oh
2: yeah, where's uh, he been? I've missed his gaunt face
1: he is there's like somebody else okay did you see triangle of sadness
2: harris dickinson
1: yeah like they have they're definitely like cousins in my mind
2: and guess what my brother looks identical to both of them
1: (laughs) (laughs) there's something about a blonde boy
2: (laughs) (laughs) watch this face okay
1: i mean i love 1917 it's such a good movie and all it is is looking at george MacKay's face but He plays, like, a (laughs) ponytail-having, yoga-practicing.
2: His character in Captain Fantastic wants, like, he's not going to college. He's doing, like, Peace Corps in Namibia. And that's, like, the whole B-plot is, like, should I go and and leave my wacky family in the woods? Or should I go kind of get an education of some sort?
1: So, okay, if someone's listening to this and they're like, I don't think I need a movie about fatherhood, but I do need a movie where Viggo Mortensen hangs dong. (laughs) Like... (laughs) would see you eastern say promises? see eastern promises yeah <laughs> yes because <laughs> that's like a much more confronting oh, for full, sure. full frontal nudity scene in this it's much more casual it's, it's oh bar- my god you barely Machos who
2: go full frontal has to happen <laughs> at some point
1: absolutely but like absolutely <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's my mind is spinning
1: that's beyond behind a paywall yes. that's the only fans version <laughs>
2: anyway yes Vigo um is a I don't know not definitely not a bumbling dad in this yeah. because he's clearly very competent he knows how to survive in the woods with like seven kids um so on like a literal practical level I don't think he is bumbling however there is something akin to like I don't know Mrs. Doubtfire and School of Rock where the dad is like misguided in some way I yeah. don't know what the term is but like I don't know his isolationist tendencies along with a very intentional way he's raising his kids to also be survivalist but then we see them in the real world and they are extremely out of touch or awkward or like at worst they're like dangerous um i don't know presents an alternative to to school of rock and mrs doubtfire's bumbling dad but like he's still bumbling in a real world way if that makes sense i don't know i'm struggling to articulate it but
1: I think that like maybe what's at the core of it is the like the loss of self in parenthood Uh and you know I'm not a parent I think I will be one day Um, and that could be through like being a parental figure because I I could see myself like getting involved with like a mentoring or something mm-hmm. you know like i don't know or it could be through having a, a kid at some point but like i don't think parents should have to lose themselves i think they'll be better parents when they have a strong like sense of self <laughs> and are able to take care of the person that they are um but if you cannot cope with losing yourself and uh-huh. like putting the priorities and the needs of your children first then like you are doing a disservice to them as as yeah. a parent. And so all of these kind of deal with that in a way where it's like, well, we don't expect men to give up any of who they are, right. even when they have kids. Right. Um, but when they do, it becomes like really, it has just all this added weight to it.
2: Yeah. That is a very astute observation. And like, I, th- I feel very simply puts into terms how I felt about the ending of Captain Fantastic, especially- yeah. Which is, I mean, spoiler alert for this 2016 film. <laughs> but at the end, um, the family kind of moves into a quote-unquote real house, which is uh, like in nature, it's on a farm or something. It's very vast and beautiful. And we see the family, all the kids getting ready to go catch the bus for school. And Vigo Mortensen looking kind of sad. I don't yeah. know. Like, I really feel like the takeaway is that it's, it's kind of a melancholy ending where it feels like he gave something up. Like he yeah. literally lost a key piece of his identity whereas in school of rock there's definitely an identity piece there like his identity as a musician or like a rock star whatever stays fully intact at the end in a way that feels empowering um yeah
1: also like the fact that this movie came out in 2016 like i feel like it would be very different today Uh, um uh and of course there have been like people who are wacky and they want to be off the grid or they have like strong political ideologies and it it ends in bloodshed yeah. or whatever like <laughs> that's that's part of the human experience but like
3: mm-hmm.
1: there, if that if this movie were made five years later it would be like a QAnon story <laughs> yeah like
2: that's for sure and
1: we'd be watching it with like a very different like yeah uh, so he, yeah so he's not gonna take them to the doctor or what like
2: no totally yeah
1: this is not really on topic but did you read the book Educated by Tara Westover?
2: No, I never did. I know kind of like the basic summary, but yeah, I never read it.
1: It's much more about um religious extremism and the f- in it's it's an a memoir it's about her own uh-huh. experience uh living in a family that yeah, was like very self-sustained. Uh-huh. Um and reading it like I had that that thought of like I wonder How any of her brothers might tell this tale because hearing about all the like oh, they were working the fields and the tractor ran over one of their legs or whatever it is, and like they and then they didn't go to the hospital. And here reading that, I was like, This is so violent. This is extremely violent physical abuse that's happening. And I do think the same story could be told in a way it's like, yeah, we were really taught to be tough.
3: Yeah. Because
1: we were just taking care of ourselves like that might be the kind of masculine read on that same experience but yeah um, absolutely all right i have like a sort of a transition question here for you which is um tom hanks macho
2: oh because
1: he's like america's dad in a big way i was gonna
2: say america's sweetheart for sure
1: yeah
2: i have i'm feeling conflict i'm like inclined to say no honestly
1: yeah I don't he, think so. I'm,
2: I'm like, is he would fit into an episode we've done, surely, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, like he's played, he's played a working man. He's played, he's played cops. Uh, he's played romantic heroes. Like he's kind of, he's played uh, Sully. Like that's a macho with Captain yeah. Phillips. Like maybe, maybe he's one of those Colonel
3: where
1: Tom like Parker. <laughs> <laughs> Colonel Tom Parker. Like it's so weird that as a younger man, I'm like, hard no on being a macho. But uh, maybe he gets to be a little some of those grizzled roles. Yeah. Um well as an older guy, I don't know. Um Chet Hanks, macho? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Um yes. he has a new yes. podcast coming out and I will Oh my work.
2: god, we need to get him on as a guest.
1: <laughs> I will listen to one full episode. I will promise the world that.
2: <laughs> that can be the next Patreon exclusive. <laughs>
1: um I use Tom Hanks to transition into my topic for the week because it is so middle of the road <laughs> <laughs> that, like, I am almost embarrassed, but like, I've already admitted that I'm I still watch Grey's Anatomy, so you know, um, what do you have up to lose? Yeah, I'm going to talk about This Is Us, and. Ugh. Let's go. I'm, I'm going to channel Stefan from Weekend Update because this series has everything when it comes to fatherhood. <laughs> Alcoholism, push-up contests, a cabin <laughs> in the woods, interracial adoption, children with disabilities, facial hair choices, infant death, daddy death, s- and soulful elder bisexual. Oh my
2: God, sign <laughs> me up. Wait, which one do you most identify with?
1: Uh, soulful elder bisexual. Oh, um, that's true. But also like, This is, like, the show for people with dead dads. And Uh, admittedly, (laughs) like, when I started watching the show, my dad was still alive. So, hopefully I didn't manifest uh, (laughs) what what would come to pass. But Throw um, some
2: salt now.
1: Like, (laughs) the thing is, I'm going to spoil everything because... (laughs) This is just a show about a family. Like, there's no real spoilers. It's like, yeah, people die, people get married. Uh But when the show was happening, it was like, next week, this husband and wife go to marital counseling and you will not be ready for what happens. And And were you? No, I mean, I cried (laughs) every week. It was was the perfectly crafted soap opera, like evening soap. And I have to say, like I think This Is Us is a good show. Like I think it, it was well written, um, uh-huh. because it has like it started with the just the stupidest sort of um uh twist, like right off the bat, uh-huh. which is I remember like it started with here's a bunch of people and they're all turning forty, and that's what this show is going to be. You're like, wow. Mila Ventimiglia is turning 40. Chrissy Metz is turning 40. What could they all have in common? And then like reveal that it takes place in different time periods.
2: Okay. I was going to say, I've never seen a single frame of this show. So I I was wondering if they all knew each other in the present day or what.
1: I think you would hate this show.
2: (laughs) I think I would too.
1: But like if somebody could cut together like just there's one himbo played by justin hartley and i think if someone could just cut together all of his scenes which would make for like a full a full series of television series he's one of the main characters you would love him so much Like he has he has austin butler grown-up energy
2: Mm, a bit a bit
1: um he's so like again blandly good looking that i was always like a defensive when it was a time for his storyline but then I actually, by the end of the series, I was like, "Where is the Emmy? Like, he is the actor <laughs> of this generation." <laughs> like, um, wow,
2: what the hell? I'm gonna like have to find a, a supercut or something.
1: Yeah. So the thing is, like, this is a family drama, and so it's about um, it's about like love and loss, and like it's not that it's not that deep. I mean, that's really what's kind of crazy about it. It's like it spans generations. It you know. has, in some ways, you're. if I tell you everything that happens in this show, you're going to be like, that's nuts. It doesn't have, like, <laughs> somebody faked their death in the Vietnam War. And I'm like, no, it <laughs> definitely does. No, and that is the crux no, of several seasons. No. But <laughs> I don't know. Like, I do feel like everybody's family has some crazy stories. In oh, that.
2: for sure. Yeah. So I mean, stranger than fiction kind of stuff, right? And then you yeah. see it on TV, and it's like, well, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, like, if you look at it and you're like, oh, man, so this one ado- like go- adopts a kid from the foster care system, and then this one has, like, a, a kid with a disability? Like, that's too much. And it's like, uh, no, it's not. Like, it's a lot for a TV family. But every person's family totally. has, like, all the kind of dramatics of this in it
3: absolutely
1: um but i do want to set up like it is about fathers really yeah. and i say that knowing that um that's a total disservice to like the mothers in this show who get short shrift but yeah. um it's it's like the world shaking tragedies that again like feel like too much for a television setup but are part of real life um milo Ventimiglia. Of course, my choice from Gilmore Girls. Um <laughs> always loved him, always will. He and Mandy Moore play Jack and Rebecca Pearson who lose one of their triplets in childbirth. And then perversely throughout the rest of the show, the surviving triplets refer to themselves as twins, and I always found that very disrespectful.
2: How <laughs> <laughs> dare you?
1: Yeah, they're always like, Oh, like it's our twin vibe, and I'm like, uh, whatever <laughs> happened to your like triplet, like
2: your triplet would disagree,
1: yeah, I would think I would think so, huh, um the same day as this triplet birth and infant loss, a black baby is brought to the hospital by firefighters, and the Pearsons decide to adopt him because they were planning to bring bring three babies home from the hospital anyway. It is absolutely wild
2: <laughs> Operative word anyway really, <laughs> it's very
3: funny,
1: like. I don't know. I have heard crazy adoption stories where it's like, you know, they weren't planning. Th- I they're, they're one of my favorites. I remember reading about this in the New York Times. Like, a guy finds an abandoned baby in a subway station <laughs> and ends up adopting that baby. And I remember reading this and it, it was crazy. He was like, no, I wasn't wow. planning to go home to my boyfriend before gay marriage was legal and say, I found a baby and I think wow. I want it. But the judge ultimately was like, I think that you would be a good dad and I'm going to (laughs) grant this baby to you. And like,
2: that's kind of incredible.
1: It's kind of incredible. And then that judge married the couple when gay marriage became legal in New York. And that's so cool. It's very sweet. Um, But it is actually crazy to think that like social workers and family court would say like this grieving family that just (laughs) lost a baby. Should definitely sure. adopt. Why not? This foundling,
2: right? Yeah. Oh my God.
1: Also, this white family did select three K names for their babies, <laughs> oh, and it's not it. once acknowledged. <laughs>
2: stop. That's fucking
1: crazy. Yeah. So you have Keith. Sorry, Keith is the one who dies. And then <laughs> Kate and Kevin are like our main characters. And then there's okay. Randall, their black brother. Like,
2: Did he come with the name Randall?
1: It. Actually, that is like a major plot point because his soulful bisexual biological father. Who, bisexual?
2: Yes. Come it, on, let's go.
1: Run. Cephas Jones plays uh, William oh, Hill, known as Shakespeare, because he's a poet.
2: Come on. And
1: a heroin addict. Um, he, and bisexual. And bisexual. <laughs>
2: please, please don't forget.
1: He like secretly meets Mandy Moore. And like she secretly knows him for like 40 years
2: that is insane
1: it's insane and so at the beginning he's like hey if you're like if you're gonna adopt my my baby like please give him his own name don't like give him the dead baby's name and sure she's like will do done and done (laughs) so anyway yeah so he kind of comes with his own name i think it's like literally the baby's like wrapped in a blanket, and there's like a sheet of poetry, like <laughs> tucked into the blanket <laughs> from the bisexual biological father. I need father. to like
2: get with this dad.
1: He's fantastic. I mean, it's he, it's a great character. There's a Loved lot of story that. there. Like,
2: you got me googling actors on This Is <laughs> Us. I hate this. <laughs>
1: um, and then like. This also, again, it's, like, seems so stupid when I think about, like, I was watching this show every week and I was seeing the ads and, like, you know, there would be Super Bowl, post-Super Bowl episodes and stuff. Like, it was a big deal of a nighttime show where it would be, like, finally, you'll learn how Jack died. (laughs) And, like, for a season, it was, like, how is he going to die? And so, you'd be, like, oh, no, is this going to be the episode where he, like, drives drunk or something? Um and then it turned out there was, like, a an accident with the Crock-Pot and it burns the house down.
2: Stop it. Um,
1: and then, Stop like, Crock-Pot had to, like, put a statement out. Like, that they no, were, like, our products right. are safe.
2: This is crazy. It is crazy how much culture happens right under your nose when you're not directly involved in it. You that is I mean? a
1: such a good point. Like.
3: Yeah.
1: I'm just a little too old to understand Dua Lipa you know but I'm like she's I'm so happy for her that she's in the Barbie movie (laughs) who is she like and that's okay that's okay um I'm not it's not one of those where I'm like no it's children who are wrong
3: um
1: but yeah this show was like huge and also will it have any cultural imprint unclear um right it's yeah um, but the thing that makes this like the dead dad show is we see our main three uh, triplets, the siblings. Um, mm-hmm. Often we're see- mostly the main characters are them as as adults, but we do spend a lot of time with them as teenagers and we see what happened when they were like going through adolescence and then they lose their dad when they're 17. And What's so interesting is, like, you get that sort of hinted at for several seasons, but you start to see how it really plays out when they're becoming parents or when they're in relationships. And they have this idealized version of their father, Jack, who, you know, died before they had much chance to start to be disappointed in him. (laughs) And they're, for the rest of their lives, so often, like, ugh, our mom. I mean, it, sometimes they're like, yeah. our mom's great. But, like, they get to see that she was a person. Uh-huh. And, therefore, she can have flaws. But everyone comes up short when compared to Milo Ventimiglia <laughs> as Nuts. Jack.
3: Ain't uh,
2: that the truth. <laughs>
1: um, and it's interesting. Like, I just want to get into, the, like, the central machos here. Like, Milo is introduced fully nude. And as ripped as he was in the movie, "That's My Boy," <laughs> starring Adam <laughs> oh Sandler and Andy Samberg. Um, I don't know if you remember that movie, but I just remember seeing, I, seeing Milo. I I, I was at that studio at the time, and I remember seeing him in the dailies and being like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna fall out my chair." He is so yeah. hot. <laughs> like,
2: oh no, well, I'm like, I should watch. Is this where Andy Samberg plays gay?
1: No, no. It's like a one of those... It's one of those gross movies where it's like, oh, Andy Samberg was conceived by Adam Sandler being a veily fool character to Susan oh, Sarandon's sure. um, Mary Kay Letourneau.
2: Got it. And they're Got like,
1: it. isn't that hot and sexy that <laughs> this adult woman and this child were in a relationship? So that's the premise of that movie.
2: Great. That sounds good. But then...
1: As much as I love Milo Ventimiglia, and, like, I do, Sterling K. Brown is giving you everything in every scene he's in. Underrated. Underrated. Like, I really don't know much about him as a person. I loved him in American Crime Story, The People vs. O.J. Season. Uh, (laughs) uh Um, In a very complicated character there. yeah. But the fact that he and Sarah Paulson had like chemistry, <laughs> and she's in that in that wig the whole time. I was shocked by he can by him. do it all. He can do Did it all. Did you see
2: Waves, where he played a similarly jacked dad? Who I haven't loved seen Waves. I heard kid.
1: that was so good.
2: It's pretty good. It's yeah. uh, it's an intense watch, but he is so jacked for like no reason.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Is really whenever
1: i mean that's the you know bringing it back to jingle all the way um there's a line in that movie which i've seen a lot where phil hartman says to arnold schwarzenegger you can't bench press your way out of this one buddy and it was like <laughs> he's just like a guy who sells couches or something like there's never any explanation yeah. for why he's mr olympus um they're just like oh yeah he just works out that's it <laughs> I'll take it. But Sterling K. Brown is like, he's playing Randall who fell fell into the man of the house role when the dad died. And he is really this complicated, not super complicated. He's just such an interesting character because he spends a lot of time wanting to find out about his family of origin, wanting to form a relationship with his soulful bisexual father, uh, biological <laughs> father, years after losing the father who raised him. He's extremely um, inspired by the father who raised him. There's a very, I think it's a very beautiful scene. I admit that like, there's a lot of complexity about this white family raising a black son that is written into the show. Like they address it head on. A lot of times. I don't know if they are addressing it. Well, I don't have the experience of like, Uh knowing what that's like to grow up in that situation but um there's this amazing scene where Mila Ventimiglia is like you know I need to bring my son someplace where he's going to see like black men and uh-huh. be able to look up to them so he brings him to a, like a karate dojo that's like <laughs> and in like a black neighborhood and is run by a black man who's an instructor
3: uh-huh. and
1: he shows up there and he like Tr- has to deal with the fact that he's uncomfortable being the only white guy I mean, um when the like fathers are bringing their sons to class but he's like you know what i gotta do it like i gotta be uncomfortable and be here because it's really for good sure. for my son um and then they do yeah. push-ups and it's hot so i love
3: that yeah.
1: <laughs> just love that um for it, all it, of it does.
2: i mean like you mentioned earlier it's very it all goes back to teen machos you know yeah. what i mean like it feels like melodrama for boys. Yes, it. yes. Um, yeah.
1: And like he, uh, Randall becomes this father who has daughters and is very
2: girl dad. Alert. He's
1: hashtag girl dad. He would <laughs> like in real life. I think he would become one of those characters of the week on Twitter who like talks yeah, too yeah, lovingly yeah. about his wife and daughters. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You know? <laughs> oh, you have coffee with your wife every morning. Yeah, entitled trick?
1: Must be nice. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and it's it's like so interesting. I mean, there's there's a lot there where I just I really would I could see myself rewatching this show at some point and like picking okay. up on things that I didn't the first time. Like um, Randall ends up adopting a teenage girl out of the foster care system and he thinks oh i have this experience of being like a black adopted child but she's like yeah you had this experience of being raised in like a nice middle-class white family Mm -hmm. i didn't have that experience you had a lot more going for you than i did like you Mm -hmm. you'll never understand what i've been through and that they kind of confront their expectations of like but i'm a good guy i'm a good dad um then there's justin hartley grown-up austin butler (laughs) who like he literally his character plays a himbo on tv he is the star of the shitty in universe sitcom the manny
2: oh Oh, i love it
1: where he's like a shirtless hot guy who's a manny that's the premise of this like you know incredible uh, multi-cam sitcom that he stars in by the Brilliant. end of the series, this is us. The Manny is rebooted and he's cast to play the dad, the older oh dad. Oh my God. It like goes deep. The Manny reboot. Like it does go deep. Um, oh my God. And like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm going to end up writing a book about this is us. And <laughs> it's going to be. Is em- he a father? Embarrassing. He like ends up having kids and it doesn't. Yeah. It matters in like the last season, but. Sure. Um, What's interesting is how much, like, fetishization these kids have of their own father. And not, Man. like, in a creepy, like, not in a sexual way, but in a sense that like... hero
2: worship kind of way.
1: Such hero worship, and they cannot get past it. And that, you know, I lost my father as an adult. Like, I have to think when you lose your, a parent when you're 17,
3: <laughs>
1: that is locked in in, like, a hyper-color way. That sure. is different from loss as a child and is different from loss as an adult. But, like, they're so obsessed with, like, like, Kevin goes to Vietnam because he's got to learn more about his dad's experience <laughs> in the Vietnam War. And it's like, what? Like,
2: Interesting. So, Interesting.
1: So strange. Um, But I also think, like, pretty realistic. And also all of the kids like have spouses eventually who are like, you need to chill about your dad. <laughs> <laughs> the, the,
2: the dad stuff is a bit much. Yeah.
1: Um, and yeah, I, I just wanted to kind of shout out like this, I think is such the ultimate dad show in that we have like, everyone looks at Jack Mila Ventimiglia as being the number one parent that ever parented, even though like he has a lot of like bad behavior, that is tied to his alcoholism uh-huh. a stoicism that affected a generation of Vietnam veterans. Yeah. Um, and then these like sons of his who are trying to be a man, they're trying to <laughs> learn how to be men when they lost their dad, when they were just becoming yeah. men. Um, then there's like the peripheral characters, which are a uh, bisexual biological father, William, um, Miguel, who is the stepdad, and they, you know, he wow. gets married to Mandy Moore when the kids are adults, okay, and has to fight tooth and nail for them to deal with him. He's also Latino, and there's like this mm-hmm. kind of other element of like, yeah, but our dad was like the dad, and you're here Interesting. too.
2: Interesting.
1: Um, and then just minor shout out to Asante Black from um, When They See Us. <laughs> um, the Ava DuVernay show. He plays like a teen dad who's dating mm-hmm. one of Randall's daughters, and it's like, man, y- you pick a type of dad. This show's got it. Yeah, so seriously, I, f- I felt like it was worth spending all of my time diving in on this show. I mean,
2: it feels very earnest in a way that is nice.
1: It's very and, like, earnest,
2: serious about its its dads.
1: Yeah, and, like, I don't know that I could genuinely recommend this show to anyone because it's either your cup of tea or it's not. Like, Uh there is something so, I mean, we have talked about melodrama a lot, but, like, it is so sincere Uh that it's almost hard to be believed, I think. But um, let me tell you, by the end of this series... When we are spending an entire episode on a train that represents the journey to the afterlife. Damn. You had me boo-hooing Dan Fogelman who created the show.
2: Wow. Is that real? Yeah. Damn.
1: There is a character who is having a full, like, connection with those on the living side and those on the heaven heaviside layer. <laughs> and <laughs> it is... It's beautiful. It is beautifully done wow. because it's a little bit of like, this is a network drama giving us some perspective on the core of being a human, mm-hmm. which is like, if you were loved a certain kind of way, that's going to impact how you love. And yeah. if you went through trauma, it's going to impact your life and the lives of your children. Um, and also like, it's tough to say, like, I want anybody to watch the show where Mandy Moore is mostly, most of the time, wearing old lady makeup.
2: I was going to say, in, you know, convincing stage makeup.
1: It's, like, really... Put on by
2: w- a talented young theater artist.
1: It's so confusing why, like, sometimes... Like, Mandy Moore is just going to be Mandy Moore. They're going to play her with ma- old age makeup. But, like, they don't do that for all the characters? Like... Yeah, Michael Angarano plays the young version of a character, and then Griffin Dunn plays him as an older man, and it's like it's great casting. I'm like, you could have, you could have. She just
2: like, really want to do old age makeup.
1: I don't know, like they could have put Sissy Spacek in there or something, Ooh. like you know, uh, that would
2: have been a good one. Yeah.
1: But I, I was so, like, this is us pilled by you know, season <laughs> five or whatever. I was like, again, like, where's the Emmy for my queen? Golden Globe yeah. only. Um, So, yeah, I'm curious, uh, again, for our listeners to let us know, like, uh, we talked about, uh, we talked about good dads, bad dads, but, like, uh, rich dad, poor dad. <laughs> <you know? laughs> um. Who are your most, most memorable, and if it is Vin Diesel and the Pacifier, I want to hear about it. Um, you know,
2: a, a, a current dad movie shout out that I saw, I think Dungeons and Dragons, the yeah. new movie really tries to do fatherhood.
1: Right. It is um, all about like, I'm just trying to get my kids back, right?
2: Yeah. Is it successful? I don't really think so. It seems to be like kind of the least important part of the whole film um but there is a fatherhood motivation behind it all. so there you go
1: hey uh
2: fantasy
3: dad
1: oh i was gonna ask you a sport like oh it does such and such thing happen but i'm gonna wait because i'm gonna see this okay. movie and i don't yes. i'll try to i'll try to hold out on spoilers right well we'll be right back to share this season's version of the freak out macho of the week
0: Hey FFR listeners, are you signed up to our Patreon yet? If you're not, you're missing out on special content made exclusively for our patrons. And if you're not a patron, that means that you're not helping me get paid. And if you're not helping me get paid, that means my good little dog Griffin isn't getting the good treats. Head on over to patreon.com slash femfreak. That's F-E-M-F-R-E-Q. Become a patron to get great content and also to make sure my dog Griffin gets the good treats. Oh, and you get the good treats as well, which, in your case, would be quality discussions about media.
2: Now it is time to talk about the macho that has been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Kat, who do you have for us?
1: I, you know, at the risk of being disrespectful to this wonderful young man, (laughs) I have been so moved by the news today on the day of recording that Justin Jones was reinstated to the Tennessee House of Representatives after Mm -hmm. such a tumultuous week. Um, So I truly say this with all love and honor, Justin Jones, you are my Macho of the Week.
2: I just love it.
1: Now, he holds this title specifically because of the, the news that broke today that he... Was uh, reinstated into office. And I'll give a little bit of backstory on that. But he does share this title with Justin Pearson. Um, no relation to the Pearsons of the show. This is us. <laughs> 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 um, but as you may have been following, there was this kind of unprecedented thing that happened last week in Tennessee where uh, three members of the House of Representatives uh, were expelled by a, they were three Democratic members of the House of Representatives of the state. They were expelled from their seats by a mostly Republican uh, state government. And they were representatives, they are representatives of kind of blue uh, neighborhoods, like cities within Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And after this one of the most recent school shootings, uh, they had joined in with protesters who were saying that there had to be a drastic change to gun gun laws in this country and this was kind of interesting i had to listen to the daily to kind of figure out how it works but they were expelled from their seats just the two justins justin jones and justin j pearson were expelled from their seats the third member uh, gloria johnson was not expelled by uh, a few votes uh she has acknowledged that she's a, an older white woman or you know middle-aged white woman And that she is not being treated the same way as the two young black men uh, who were all kind of in the same position. And because there can be like a temporary filling of the seat until a special election is held, uh, it's just so fascinating that uh, Justin Jones was not, he was ousted for four days Uh because uh, his constituents put him forth to be the temporary person oh, in the seat until the special election. so cool. So cool. Wow. And like, if you hear, if you listen to the audio of when these uh, two men were expelled from their seats, the chance of shame on you from the protesters moved me to tears. Yeah. yeah. Um, because these these three were just chanting along with protesters. I mean, they were <laughs> not and their opposition, the people who ousted them said that this was akin to the insurrection on January
2: 6th. Oh, my God.
1: And it's like, get the That's... fuck out of here. Yeah. Like, not that this is- <laughs> Grow not that, up,
2: literally. Grow up,
1: grow up. No, and they were saying yeah. like, oh, you're having tantrums, like you're being children because these young me- these guys are in their 20s. And um, I, I'm just, I'm following the story. I'm certainly, it's almost heartened to see that because of this completely outsized reaction to oust them from their seats, if they run again, if they are now in a position to have to run for their seats again, mm-hmm. they will have support from the rest of the country that wouldn't yeah. necessarily have known who they were until t- until this week. So um, on a technicality macho of the week is is uh, Justin Jones, <laughs> Justin J Pearson. You are you are with you're us in too. our hearts, but um, we're gonna just keep our eyes on the prize here, and hope that, hope that uh, you're reinstated again. Again, uh, it's a great pick. This is plus these are both you know very handsome young men. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, welcome.
2: Why, if I do say so myself,
1: welcome to the Macho of the Week Hall of Fame. You are happy to have them. You're in good company.
2: Oh, <laughs> love it. Thank you, Kat.
1: Uh, you're welcome. Uh, th- thank you for thanking me for my service <laughs> in this time. <sighs> well, that's our show for today. Thanks to our listeners for joining us for this season of Feminist Frequency Radio, presenting Machos Fully Loaded.
2: I am AC Lamberty. You can follow me on Instagram and Letterboxd, at AC Lamberty. Um, and on Letterboxd, you can find uh, the little uh, Macho's fully loaded syllabus.
1: Yeah, it's, so a, check it out. it's a bummer. You can't put This as Us on it, because it only, <laughs> only features a miniseries, right? True.
2: I couldn't put Sopranos either. It's a bummer. Yeah. But otherwise, everything's
1: there. I'm sure there's like... Uh, a 90-minute, like, behind-the-scenes of This Is Us that you can add. Um, <laughs> or you could put that uh, that Sopranos sequel they made, which I haven't seen. Oh, yeah,
3: yeah.
1: Uh, I am Kat Spada. I'm on Twitter at cat underscore EX underscore Machina, and you can follow Feminist Frequency on all the socials at Femfreak. If you're a Patreon subscriber, stick around for the bonus episode where we're going to talk about our own IRL dads, because why not? Uh, um, macho <laughs> made machos maybe i'm curious curious to find out um who we'll ta- see
2: where they where they fit
1: where they land on the macho scale but exactly yeah
3: right
2: if you like our show help other people find it by subscribing rating and commenting on your favorite app
1: thanks so much for listening bye, bye.